with everything that's going on right now in our country, it seems a little obtuse to just push forward as if nothing is happening. So we wanted to just say that um, Seth and I acknowledge that there is a bunch going on right now, um, but we uh, don't want to add to the noise by putting our opinions out there with it. So we just want to say our goal right now with everything is that we're just trying to listen very well and learn and understand in this time. It's definitely a time for us to just be quiet and educate ourselves as much as possible, pray for people and mourn with people. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of Is This Making Sense? Dialogues on the Pursuit of Wisdom, Balance, Leadership, and Everything in Between. My name's Eric Johnson. I'm here with Seth Gray, and today we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about relational intelligence, because we all deal with people, so we better get better at our people skills. And the way in which I was thinking about this, and why in the world would we talk about relational intelligence. And I was thinking about my two sisters. Uh, Jessica is the oldest in our family uh, of the siblings. And then my youngest sister, Mary Catherine. And both of them are amazing with dealing with people. Their relational intelligence, as I look at it, is through the Ruth. It, they, they're just great. They can read people and they can deal with all types of people in all types of situations in every setting. And, and they're, they're really great uh, to watch in action when they're in a room uh, because it's not that they're working the room, but they're, they're being encouragers to everybody that is in the room. They are, they're bringing the best out of people. And uh, I'm, I'm always wanting to get better as um, I relate to people and I interact with people. So before we go too far, you said relational intelligence. It's kind of assumed that people know what that is. What is relational intelligence? Um, well, let me just say this. This isn't about being an extrovert or an introvert. This isn't about having charisma. This isn't about just, you know, wherever you are on the Enneagram, wherever you are on the, whatever personality trait test you are. This isn't about any of that. This, for me, when I say relational intelligence – this is about self-awareness. This is about stepping up and serving others. It's about being aware of yourself and aware of others, wherever you are, however you are engaging them. Okay. So when you brought this topic up, I had not totally heard of the term relational intelligence. I've heard of emotional intelligence. It's kind of a, a catchy word right now. And so I did a little bit of research and I'm not sure anybody knows what what the difference between relational intelligence is with emotional intelligence or even social intelligence. Cause I started looking at it. It's like, I found a list that there are two types of intelligence. There's social intelligence and then there's emotional intelligence, but then there's also people that call emotional intelligence, relational intelligence. So it gets a little messy, but you, what you're saying is the intelligence and the way that we see ourselves and we see others or how? Yeah. So, so basically, um, so I grew up in a family where my mom and dad were people, they're people, people. And they taught all four of us to be people people. That's why my two sisters are just so great at, at talking with people, being around people that they don't even know or people that do, they do know really well. Um, so I kind of grew up in this environment of, as my dad calls it, read the room. So as a little kid growing up, uh, we'd go into some event where it was a wedding or a funeral or, or wherever where we were doing some event and we'd get this talk before we'd get out of the car. And I do that same exact talk now Hannah and I do where I say, all right, I turn the car off. I said, don't get out. I want everybody to say, remember this. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Someone looks at you in the, in the eye and asks you a question. You look at them back. 
you put your hand out to shake their hand, you answer them clearly. These were all the things my mom and dad made me go over. And from that, it springboarded into when we were in the actual environment and I was getting too loud. Uh, as you like to say, my strengths were turned up too loud. My dad would just tap me on the shoulder. My mom would tap me on the shoulder and they'd give me this look and they'd either give me the look or they'd give me the look and say, read the room, read the room. <laughs> so that's kind of how I'm using relational intelligence, but that's really my experience and how I view it is read the room, what's going on, and how are you engaging with that room? Okay. Okay. So I, I saw a definition that uh, this guy, Stephen Saccone, he wrote a book about relational intelligence, and he said, relational intelligence is the ability to learn understand and comprehend knowledge as it relates to interpersonal dynamics. So it's, it's a social, based on one of the other definitions I saw, it's a social, it's a social intelligence. How are you relating to the people around you versus I think emotional is how are you relating to your feelings and the feelings of others? So I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing there. And I want to kind of clarify that, clarify that maybe we don't have this all clarified very well, but we want to talk about what it looks like to, to know, to know, I guess how you're doing in a room and how you affect that room and, and kind of, I don't know, just reading people well is important. Exactly, exactly. Let's not get into emotions because you know I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to open up. Well, I find it interesting that you are interested (laughs) in relational and and the whole reading the room because I think we've established that you are three in the Enneagram, which is you like to achieve and you like to, uh, I don't know if you want to say persuade, but but there's something about people that are three in the Enneagram that do want to read the room and find their role and and adjust to the room so that they can, they can, can, can do their best in that particular situation. Yes, exactly. And so as we talk about this and thinking about it through a relational aspect, I was thinking about through a work environment where you might walk into a, a meeting and there's all different types of people on there. And I think that's what I want to encourage people today with is that when you walk into the room, your job is to be a leader with how you interact with them. It's not to just lead the meeting or it's be a participant in the meeting, but your job is not just to say, when I'm an introvert, I'm going to be quiet in here and this is what everybody expects of me. I'm going to get out of myself and I'm, I'm going to engage people. I'm going to engage their body language. I'm going to engage whatever they said back to me. I'm not just going to be passive about it. And at the flip side, myself, I can go into a meeting and I can bulldoze people. And I can be real talkative and very engaging. And if there's only one person that's going to talk back to me, I've got to be aware of, well, just don't lock in with them, but walk into the room or be in the room and realize, oh, someone hasn't contributed at all to the conversation. Turn your whole body. Look at them in the eye. Ask them, well, what do you think? Mm -hmm. Ask them a question to get them talking. I think there's a lot of... uh empathy required to do this well because you have to be aware of the room and those that are in it and how some people like you're saying this person hasn't said anything but i know they've got something to say i need to make sure that i give them uh i need to reach out to them and invite them to the table verbally uh and so i think there's there is that empathy required to do this well yeah because i know i know how i am and i know (laughs) that when i don't know the answer sometimes i can talk my way into the answer And there are other people that are quiet that know the answer, but they will not engage and give you the right answer and give you a great idea until they're brought into it. So it's, it's two things. One, I want to say that my, this to myself is, Hey, make sure your strength isn't turned up too loud. You're engaging everybody. But Hey, if you're listening to this and your, your kind of, uh, MO is to be a little bit more quieter, I'd, I'd rather, I'd like to challenge you to 
to speak up, to engage, to to see, you know, uh, interact more. You know, uh, I listened to a podcast from Malcolm Gladwell, and he was speaking about how when he goes to a dinner party or an event, one of the things he does not like to do is make small talk. I hate small talk. It's the worst. Sometimes you've got to make the small talk. Ugh. I know you might hate it, but you've got to do it sometimes. You've got to go outside of yourself. Because when you walk into a meeting, when you walk into a party, when you walk into your church, when you walk into whatever, ask yourself this question, what is required of me? Mm. Mm, it's really good. I struggle. Can I just tell you why I struggle with small talk? Small talk as a perfectionist is a big fat. To me, it's a big waste of time. And I know it's not the truth, but it's like, hey, how's it going? Oh, where, where do you, what kind of like work do you in? And all these these cliche questions that, I, and I'm thinking, I'm talking to this person that I'm probably never going to see again. It's like, why am I wasting my emotional energy on this right now? Because I get exhausted by that kind of stuff. So I just hate it. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And as, as much as I am saying, hey, ask yourself what's required, engage, jump in. Look, I'm the biggest hypocrite of this because this weekend I was at a wedding and I literally was thinking, how can I just hang out in the corner with my kids, eat the wedding cake and not engage anybody? And I was I was like, oh my goodness, on Sunday night, I'm going to record a podcast about engaging other people and I'm not wanting to do this right now. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's a balance there. I don't think you have to always be on Um I will say for me, um, in a new environment, I am very naturally observant. And my observance probably comes off as me being very shy, which is probably the case too. Like I I really have to feel out a room to figure out if I'm actually welcome in it. And so my head is on a swivel. Uh, So I really, really struggle, especially if there hasn't been like a clear invitation or clear welcome to me to that room. Kind of the imposter syndrome that we talked about before. It's like, I'm just not sure that I'm allowed to be here. So I'm I'm just looking to make, just trying to get the feel of the room. And I think there's some relational intelligence in there just trying to figure out if it's a safe place for me or not. I don't know. Yeah, I understand that um, 100%. But at the same time, if, if you want to get ahead in life, you can't just sit in the corner and expect someone to, to just pull you out. You've got to step up and engage people. And that's what I would encourage someone today. If you are one that just likes to, to, to hang out and find that safe space, I'd encourage you to get out of your comfort zone. And if you're a person that is able to just talk to anybody, well, great. Look at the person. Try to find the person in the room, in the meeting, wherever it might be that is being quiet and ask them a question to get them engaged. Ask them a question to to draw them into the conversation. Um, you know, one of my pet peeves in terms, I think maybe this is a relational intelligence. Um, there was this guy that used to work here or used to work with us. And um, he just did not have a high level of relational intelligence in that. Like, so we're sitting down having lunch. Somebody's like told him, told him story and we're all laughing and we're finishing the story when he walks up and says, Hey, I want to hear that. And it's like, He's just caught the very tail in it, wants us to start the whole thing over. And it was like, it didn't bother me at first. And then it was like, he does this regularly. He has no concept of this table or the room. He's just, and he's just kind of derailing conversation and fun. And it was bothered me. I know. I know what you mean. And, and when I think of an, an example, the way I look at it, when I sit down, whether I'm at a luncheon or I'm at some type of uh, uh, event, I look at myself as like a point guard. And I've got the ball and I'm dribbling down the court and I'm looking to find my teammates and and put them in the best possible position to be successful. 
because if I can get someone to shine, if I can get someone to ask my question and get them to talk, man, I'm learning something new. I'm not having to carry everything. They're engaged. Their energy levels up because, you know, just because someone might be quiet or they're not engaged doesn't mean that they don't have anything to say. It doesn't mean that they're not interesting. Um, so engage people even when you don't feel like it and read their body. One thing that Hannah really challenges me on and she, she would say this all the time. She says, listen to what they're saying. Don't just react. You've already got a response in your head before they've even finished saying what it is, mm-hmm. and you're not giving them a good mm-hmm. response. And that's something I've got to work on is if I'm going to be you know, smart when I'm in a room, smart when I'm talking with people and, and engage with people, listen to what they're saying and react accordingly. That's so true. The other day I was in a conversation, you know, when you're talking to somebody and, and uh, they say something that m- reminds you of something that you want to say about yourself or whatever it might be. And so then you're literally just waiting for them to stop talking. And then so it happened. And then this person kept talking and kept talking and they was making other good points. And so when, by the, when they finally got down, I was like, oh, I wanted to say that thing. And I realized, what was the thing I was really excited to say? And what was it about? And I realized, oh, that was just to tell a story about me. I was so excited to get to talk about me that I didn't even listen to the rest of what he was saying. It's like it's so easy to do though. Oh, it's so easy to do in marriage because you're just ready to, you know, it's it's been a long day or whatever it might be. And, you know, your spouse, Hannah's telling me the story and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to tell her this because something she said to me triggered another thought that had nothing to do with what she's telling me right now. And I'm just not engaged with it. And I've got to be engaged with yeah. it. It, I mean, it feels, honestly, it feels good to talk about yourself. It really, I mean, that sounds terrible, but I really think it's true. It, who doesn't want to talk a little bit about themselves? But we've got to be more selfish, selfless in our communication. I think if we were better listeners, there's a good chance a lot of the situation that's going on right now in our country would not be the way it is if we oh, would just exactly. listen. Well, that's the thing. When the, In sales techniques, they say, is if you can say the customer's name like four or five times in the first three minutes of your conversation with them, that, that'll get them to trust you. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves to hear their name. Mm-hmm. So, it's, 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 so when I think about relational intelligence, I think about what is required of me, what can my presence bring to others, how can I bring someone into the conversation? What questions can I ask them to put them at ease about themselves? And and how can I react accordingly? And, you know, it's, it's so much is being aware of what you're doing. I think... I think you were talking about in the context of, a, of the workplace, if you, you know, if you, if you understand the people that are on your team, whether you're above them or, or equal to them or below them, whatever it is, if you understand, I think the way that they're wired, the way they communicate, how they respond to certain things, then you can better know how to use your relational capital at that point. Cause you know, Oh, he just used that maybe that strong energy. And I know that that turns her off or, uh, this person has been talking for a while. That's probably because they're not because they're shy. It's probably because they're really thinking and it's probably a good time to to ask them a question to pull that out so like the better that you can understand the people that you're with whether they at work or in your family whatever it is to be able to to understand these both verbal and nonverbal cues to 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 you know to leverage your relational uh, influence or what do we call it relational um intelligence with them to to get the best out of them i think but again it's understanding people's eccentricities watching their body language watching their eyes watching their shoulders um it's being very observant like you said because when I'm being observant, I'm, I'm a better leader of the meeting, let's just say. And it, I'm telling myself, take a pause. 
let there let there be a little bit of awkward science. Oh, it's so science. hard. It's I know so it's hard. hard. I know I'm like, don't don't let there be awkwardness. Well, sometimes it's good to have awkward silence because you're communicating to everybody that you don't have all the answers. I know a lot of times when I've gone into a meeting, let's just say, where I'm leading it and I can talk, set it up, and at the end of the day, I feel like there's sometimes where people are like, Well, just give us what you want. And I'm to myself going, no, because what I want is probably not the best because you guys are the experts. So I'll be quiet and let someone else talk. I really, really, really struggle with pauses. And even, I mean, I've said on here before, and I'm trying to do it right now, I struggle not speaking really, really fast. So the idea of stopping altogether is, might as well kill me. <laughs> so when I'm leading a meeting, I, I literally, literally will write in my notes, pause, slow down, Oh, that's good. Because if I don't see it, I just, I, I think I naturally, I, I, maybe I'm fighting against something I shouldn't fight against uh, in that I maybe I'm, I, I really just am a fast talker, but I don't want to talk so fast that my message doesn't come across or I rush over things or people can't understand. And my mom gets on to me regularly about <laughs> how fast I speak on here. Um, so I'm really trying to do better. But yeah, you, you challenged me just then to, as a reminder, just to pause. Silence is not a bad thing. Let something land. Well, let me encourage you. I like how fast you talk. I think it's great energy, and I don't mind it at all, probably because I want everybody to always have a great time. I want people to feel positive. I want people to feel productive, and I feel like silence is not productive, <laughs> so I try to avoid it. Uh, well, I would could go on. I mean, I really value silence, but not in communication. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I want to say this. Um, I think we've used this quote in here before. I'm thinking about it in the context of relational intelligence, but what do you do to a room? Who's, who's that quote from? Is that an Andy Stanley quote? It's, or a, I don't know. I forget who Someone's that quote's from. What do us. you do to a room? Yeah. Maybe Jeff Henderson. I forget who it is. But I think people with low uh, relational intelligence have no idea what their presence does to a room. And they need to, if they, if they don't know what the answer to that question is, they need to figure it out soon because you are probably doing a lot of damage uh, by being so uh, unself-aware of what your presence does to a room, to a meeting, to whatever it might be. Oh, yeah. And I guarantee you, well, as you were saying that, I was thinking of someone who will come into a room and their presence just totally changes it negatively. Mm. And at the flip side of that, is there someone that we could each think of. They will light the Man, room up. when they walk in, it's, it's the like, best. oh, good, they're here. They're uh-huh. great. This is going to be... I'm glad they showed up to the party. This the party was going to be need. awful. Mm-hmm. And now they're here and everything's going to be better. Yeah, yeah. I really hope that my presence is a positive thing for a room. I'm, I'm not sure that it is all the time, but I really hope that it is. Um, I, here's another, I feel like I'm just going through pet peeves of things that of people that, <laughs> that of things that bother me, but I, you know, I, I watch in like conversation circles where, you know, somebody may be talking about a TV show and, and maybe four of the five people know about this TV show, but the fifth person doesn't. And so I, I, it's, I, I'm always aware of that. And when I know that this person may not know this topic, I try to then steer it back to them as best as possible. That's a little bit of relational intelligence there, making them feel invited in this conversation. But a pet peeve of mine is when somebody doesn't have the topic, but just can't stand not being in the conversation and just forces themselves in and then gets it on to another topic. It just drives me crazy. I, I know a person that does this regularly because they just want to be part of it and they're not selfless enough to just listen for a while and let the topic go on without them. Interesting. Yes. Yes, you're right. As I think about that, I think about my kids because, and this, this goes back to other environments and other things because, you know, now that we have, you know, social media, 
all these memes get shared and all these videos and, and various things get shared so that when you do get in a group environment, everybody starts to talk about them. And one thing that I do with my kids and I do it when I'm out in a group environment is someone will start telling a story. And rather than saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I saw it. I'll let them tell the story mm-hmm. because they're getting yeah. engaged with the conversation. Yeah. They are communicating. They're they're mm-hmm. expressing. Maybe this was the one silver bullet. They're like, I'm going to this party. Yeah. This is the story I have. I can't wait to use it. And you know what? Let them use it. Yeah. Don't take that 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 thunder or whatever away. Don't take that wind away from them. Let them tell that story, even though you know it. And I do it with my kids. Why? Because I want, it's so much more fun to hear my kids tell a story to me that they're so excited about rather than there are times, and I've done this by mistake, where I go, yeah, 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 I already know. And I just totally kill their excitement. And it's whether it's my children or I'm at a party or a meeting or whatever, let someone tell you the story, even if you already know it. That is such a good point. And that convicts me too, because I hate when I do that. I will say something about the way that I'm wired, I don't know what it is. I want people to know that I know things. And so I feel like if, if I can cut them off and let them know that I knew it, it's like it makes me smart. But that, no, that's me being selfish and prideful. But you're, you're totally right. I, I've been very guilty of that. The worst part is when you think that you know it and then you don't know it. And so, that, no, that was not what, that's not where I was going. I was like, oh, gosh, I'm double idiot now. <laughs> I'm selfish and I'm dumb. The last part I'll say this, and I don't know where we're going to land on this conversation, but if you can be so relationally aware, self-aware of what's going on, what's going on in the room, this will help you out professionally in your work life. I mean, think about your boss. Think about whoever's over you. What is it that they react to? What is it that they're watching and they get irritated by other people? Because that relational capital that you can build with them will go so far because they'll trust you. They'll realize, oh, I connect with this person or this person gets me. You know, as a leader, most time leaders are just looking around for people they can trust and rely on. And if you're not self-aware to be able to read the room and read your boss, they're probably not going to be able to trust you with a lot and rely on Mm. you. So if you can have that relational awareness, that self-awareness to read your boss, to read the room, that will get you so much further in your work life. I think that's a great, a great, that's well said, Seth. I, I want to put this, this tack onto this. The goal of all of this is not to get ahead. You will get ahead as a result of this, but that's not the goal. The goal is to better support and serve others. That is the core of this. They're, you know, an unhealthy, an, un, an unhealthy look at this is I'm going to manipulate these things. I'm going to read this room to get what I want to make that person feel good so that I can do that. Now, that is not the goal. The core of this is so that you can elevate others, that you can serve others, that you can hopefully lead people well, uh, but for the betterment of others, not for yourself. Naturally, as other people around you get better, so will you. So it is a win-win. It's so funny the way that these things, to me, these are tenets of Jesus, uh, but these these beautiful tenets of selflessness ultimately lead to your to your success. And so, but again, the core of is it core of it, it should be altruistic, not for not for your own gain. I'm so glad you said that because if we would have just now wrapped up and not said that, then it it would have probably sounded like a very like how to manipulate your way to the top. And I'm so glad you said that because that's not what it's about. If everybody 
wins. If the mission is accomplished, everybody wins. And it's about serving others wherever you're at because you're trying to get the best out of people, not just yourself. The the same guy that I quoted earlier, Steve Saccone, in this Relational Intelligence book, he says, the more relationally intelligent we become, the more we will demonstrate increased love, respect, and trust in every relationship in our lives, which will inevitably inevitably elevate our influence. I love that. It, elevate, it, it demonstrates increased love, respect, and trust in our relationships, which will lead to it will elevate our influence. I love that. I want, I want to use things that are good and noble and true to make others better. And in, in, in doing so myself better, I, I, that, that to me is a win. Like if I'm doing that, that is a win. So hopefully, I don't know. I feel like we've, I feel like I've had a hard time fully understanding exactly what relational intelligence is and how it differs from emotional or social, all these other intelligences. Ultimately, we just want to be able to read people better Um, understand people better so that we can lead, motivate, encourage, serve, whatever it is, and do that better. But it doesn't happen by being a passive person in a room. It happens by being head on a swivel, active, looking at ways that you can learn, grow, and serve in, in these moments. Yes. This isn't about being an extrovert. This isn't about being an introvert. This isn't about having all the charisma. This is about serving others. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this conversation made sense. Have a great week.